Welcome to episode 12 of University of Vermont Medical Center Nursing Podcast Series. Did you miss us? We were gone in July. Took we're a little on vacation. break. Created for nurses. By nurses. I'm Colleen Roach, an oncology and infusion nurse. And I'm Robert Hamble, a heart failure clinician and this year's chair of the Nursing Professional Governance. So we're here to get you information, including new initiatives, current events, and a chance to celebrate some of the highlights of the great work happening here at the hospital. Today, we're going to talk about, we have someone from Language Access Service, somebody here to talk about Stop the Bleed program, and our ED educator is going to give us education about how important it is to have family present during a code. It's a great comeback podcast. Let's get started. Let's do it. Our next guest is a dynamic person here at the hospital. Um, dynamic. Dynamic. <laughs> sure about she's, that? She's fun. So we've got Amanda Young, who's the ED educator, and we brought her in to talk about having family present during codes. Recently, I got a chance to go and shadow down in the emergency department, and I noticed when Looking there was... Looking for a new job? No, she was actually <laughs> teaching me IV skills. Oh. Amanda. I did solicit you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I noticed that um, you your team brings the family to the bedside when yep. there's a code. So I wanted you to do some education about that because that's very different than what I know I was trained to do and many other people are used to pulling the family out. So tell us about that. Yeah, thank you for having me today. I'm happy to talk about it. We're really proud about uh, our family liaison role in the emergency department. Um, so I sit on a couple of different uh, patient and family-centered care councils in the hospital. And one of the big projects that we wanted to do in the emergency department specifically based on uh, basically all the research and the Emergency Nurses Association's statement of um, it is best practice if the family wants to be at the bedside for a critically ill patient or somebody who is resuscitative that they should be at the bedside. Um, the caveat to that is that they have to be supported appropriately by uh, what we call in our department a family liaison. Do you have three to five articles to support that? And is that evidence within five years? Sorry, just my schooling coming through here. But anyway, go on. You're free to look up all the research. Um, there's, in fact, one project that they stopped uh, They stopped the research project partway through because the evidence was so overwhelmingly positive for having families at the bedside. They didn't want to continue not to offer that wow. for people. Um, so they actually just stopped the research project because they really wanted people to be at the bedside. Um, it, it, it is very much where they belong um, with their family. The research shows oftentimes people's fear about having families there is that um, they'll A, get in the way, or B, um, potentially be litigious afterward, um, or be judgmental of the, of the medical care that's being provided. And all the research discounts all of those things. Um, do you have some examples? I know that you guys have been doing this for a little while. Um, what is the experience? What is the feedback you've received from patients? Yep. Um, we had uh, actually a quite a lovely uh, Christmas card recently of a patient from a patient's husband who had been to our department who had was in very critical condition. Um, she was having uh, an astounding cardiac event, and he was able to be at the bedside the entire time. And a Christmas card he wrote to us um, with him and his wife and his, their children, it was lovely, um, was him talking about his experience in the ED um, and specifically how much he felt supported, how he knew really kind of horrible things were happening to her and that we were clearly very worried about her, but that he was able to be at the bedside to him was so comforting. Um, and likewise, we've heard the same thing about people, about um, patients that have not been successful, resuscitations, 
um, the family still tells us how grateful they are to have been at the bedside. Yeah, it's a real change of mindset. Uh, you know, as a M5 nurse, cardiac nurse, you know, we're trained that when something happens to really work with the family, but to kind of pull them out of that experience and really listening to you about the different perspective and how patients really embrace it is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this this is a change in practice, and if you want to learn more about it, Amanda is um, happy to educate floors about this change in practice. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you guys are trying to pull together some sort of grand rounds, give people opportunities to do a traveling grand rounds to learn a little bit more. So keep your eye out for that because that's going to be coming down the road. So you can ask questions about how it was structured, some of the successes, things they did in place before they actually launched this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And certainly it's um, has been a, a culture change in our department as well, but one that I think uh, none of us would ever go back on now. We've all had our own uh, really great experiences with it. And you keep asking about how the families and the patients feel about it. Um, I will say, too, that the um, feedback from our staff has also been overwhelmingly positive. Um, it's, it's been actually pretty, pretty great and a, a great change in our department for everybody. Well, yeah. thanks for bringing us up to speed on this topic. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. And now we're going to talk to our highlighted nurse who is new to our organization. She's a nurse on Baird 3, the medicine telemetry floor. We have Shelly Davis with us. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about the Stop the Bleed program. Uh, Stop the Bleed is a national program that has been rolled out through level one trauma centers across the nation. Um, It came about as a result of the tragedy at Sandy Hook, the Boston Marathon bombing, and the Florida nightclub shooting. Um, They looked at autopsy results of a lot of these individuals and found that a majority of them would have been saved if somebody had just known how to stop the bleed. So the Department of Education and the government and the uh, military came up with this program to teach lay people how to stop an uncontrolled bleed. Now, those events are traumatic. You know, we all know of those events. But how did this become relevant to you? You know, why does this resonate with you? Um, On March 24th of 2018, my son uh, was participating in a slalom race at Whiteface Mountain where he fell during the race and landed on the edge of his ski. And that ski ended up cutting through his hamstring, lateral quad, IT band, uh, cut 10% of his sciatic nerve, shaved a layer off his femur, but most critically cut through his femoral artery. Um, Jonathan was lucky enough to fall at the feet of what I later found out to be the only two people on the hill that day that knew how to stop an uncontrolled bleed. They were wilderness first responders and had had that specific training, knew how to improvise with um, things they had on site and how how to stop the bleeding. Wow. And that's amazing that that's come across. That training has had such a huge impact in your life. And I think it's kind of really redefined the Stop the Bleed program here in Vermont because it's not about those unfortunate incidents, but it's more about the community we live in, that we're so out in the environment of skiing, hiking, you know, going hunting. And that's kind of the events where these Stop the Bleeds have happened. I mean, talk to us a little bit about the last year, the trainings, the people you've really affected and you know how you know to date we have over 2600 people have now been trained on stop the bleed you know what has the last year the journey been for you well that's so true we live in a rural community um and we're not necessarily near um can get to an emergency for first responder quickly or get to a hospital so 
I looked into, as a nurse, I could become an educator, which was great. And I was able to go out into the community, basically starting first with the ski community, to teach um, coaches and ski patrol and athletes how to stop an uncontrolled bleed. Because that's, it's just really, that was important for me to start there. And through that, it, it really um, kind of brought awareness to how active our community is and how many ways that you can you can have something like this happen and the need for knowing what to do within those first two to three minutes because that's the critical time frame where if you don't know what to do and you're in that you can lose a life so the hospital offers courses year round and on the internet there's the list of when you can take a course tell us about how long are they and um, how do you sign up for one you can you can go on to the hospital's um, webpage and uh, look up Stop the Bleed and they will give you a list of the available courses. It's only an hour, a really quick and pack a lot of information into that one hour and you'll definitely leave there feeling confident that you would be able to handle this situation. Now the classes are free. Um, they're not just for UVM employees. They can be for the community outside. Um, if you have family members that work at other businesses who are interested in bringing people in to do the Stop the Bleed training, the hospitals at. I mean, you've really had some really great partnerships. I know the hospitals reached out to really work with you to really promote this. You're also working with Kelly. The Kelly Brush Foundation. Um, who've really been helpful in, you know, funding and getting money to help pay for the kits. Um, so it's really awesome. But this training has been huge. Uh, yes, I just I can't stress enough that I just want as many people to come and get this training. It's quick, it's free, and it's easy. Um, and just as many people as possible, because if those two men that were there weren't trained, my son wouldn't be here today. Um, I really just can't stress that enough. And he's not just today. He's back skiing. He's back playing lacrosse. I mean, he's back to the life he had prior to the injury. And that's just so huge to those two people. Yeah, he, um, he was back playing lacrosse two months after that incident. And I just can't stress enough. The only thing more tragic than a death is one that could have been prevented. Shelly, thanks so much for sharing your story and turning something so awful into, you know, really helping helping our community. Thank you. Thanks. Our next guest is Lynette Reap. She is the Interpreter and Communication Service Coordinator for the Language Access Services. Lynette, it's great to have you here, and thanks for making some time with us today. Sure, thank you. I'm um, really excited to have you come in and talk to us today because, you know, I've been working at this hospital for 10 years, and the need for this service has continued to grow throughout the years. You know, from patients who come in here who do not speak English as their first language, um, the use of people who use sign language, who are deaf or blind, your service is great. And I think it's really important to kind of highlight what your service provides and also talk a little bit more about, like, what it provides on night shifts, weekends, you know, not when everyone the core people are here. Right. So, oh, yeah. Great question. So um, language access services provides in-person interpreting services. Um, the hospital also has access to what we call remote modalities. So you can access interpreters by phone and on an iPad by video remote interpreting um, service. Uh, also referred to here as the OD on-site, ODI, on-demand interpreting. And um, we also provide translation services, so if you have documents that you need to get translated for a patient, we can do that for you. And we do a lot of training and some other uh, general projects around making language access more of a reality here at UVM Medical Center. Yeah, prior to you coming, we did a little research. And talk to us a little bit about your website that you have on our internet. So if I'm a nurse working you know, night shift or if I'm working on the weekends and I've admitted a patient, 
talk to us how we can use that website as a resource to help me better work with my patients. Absolutely. So if you go to SharePoint, so pretty much if you're sitting at a computer, you open up a browser, SharePoint is generally what comes up. I'm sure a lot of your nurses um, use it pretty regularly. Uh, if you go over to the upper left, there's a drop-down menu for department. We are Language Access Services. And you open that up and there's lots of really useful information there. There's a sort of light orange bar across the screen when you get to our homepage. If you click on that, there's information about how to request an interpreter uh, during business days, after hours. Uh, what if you have a problem with VRI, with the OD? Um, how do you access telephonic interpreting services and so forth? So that's sort of our, our quick and dirty cheat sheet. Yeah. And then there's lots of other information on the site as well. Um, you guys were great. Uh, a couple years ago, you translated a bunch of my heart failure documents. And so a nurse, if you have a patient who has heart failure, who speaks Bosnian, you actually can go on that website, search articles, and see what is in different languages. So if you have a patient dealing with postpartum issues, you can go on that website on the weekend, type in the language, and find documents that really resonate with those people so you can do some teaching. That's right. So we have something like, mm, I'm going to say maybe about 1,500 translated documents on the site. Um, and if you have documents that you need to get translated that aren't there already, you can send them to me directly, uh, Lynette Reap, and I will get those translated for you. Um, there's also a link on that same site to outside websites from the federal government, from other hospitals where there are uh, materials that have been made accessible to people who speak a language other than English. So there's some really useful browsing you can do there. Lynette, there's also a annual event coming up in September. Can you tell everyone about that? Yeah. So this is our big signature event of the year. Um, it's really a fabulous event. It's called the Language Access and Communication Expo, or the Expo. It's always the last Friday in September every year. It's in the McClure Lobby Conference Room. This year we've made it a little longer. Every year we get a little bit bigger crowd and the room has only so much capacity so we make it a little longer every year. So we're meeting from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Friday, September 27th. Um, it's a really wonderful educational venue with lots of immersive, interactive uh, types of learning opportunities. There's going to be a free Nepali buffet lunch. There will be various simulations. Free so you food? Can, free food. The food. Nepali food. I, I had it last year. It was Hot amazing. Lunch. Really Good. great. So even if you can just come down for a little while, we would love to have you um, take advantage of some of the learning opportunities there. So if a nurse only has like 10 minutes, they can, they can buzz through and maybe even get one tidbit of information. But you had mentioned the optimal amount of time to spend there is like about an hour. Yeah, if you, if you can carve out an hour as part of your educational time, Time. You can get your lunch and you can do some of the a little more involved trainings. We have a really wonderful um, exhibitor every year from the Open Door Clinic in Middlebury and they set up a little simulated uh, Spanish language clinic where you're the patient and you don't speak the provider's language and it gives you a chance to see what that experience is like for so many of our patients. Well, I hope that, that people can try to make an effort to get down to the, the expo. You know? Yeah. Thank you for coming in and kind of highlighting. This resource is huge, especially from a patient standpoint. Coming into a, a health system where you don't speak the language, knowing the resources we have out there to really improve that patient experience is great. And hopefully our nurses have a little bit more information on where they can go now. Absolutely. They can reach out to me anytime by phone or by email or text. I'm happy to respond. I, I go around the hospital and do trainings, and I'm happy to hear about any issues or, or projects that you're interested yeah. in. We love to work with other folks in the hospital. What's your phone number? My phone number is 70695. And your last name is R-E-E-P if you're trying to send an email. That's right. R-E-E-P as in Peter. Perfect. All right. We look forward to September 27th. Thanks so much. It was really interesting to learn more about the services that Lynette's group offers and really a cool, awesome podcast.
Yes, I enjoyed that episode and look forward to next month. Yeah, take your time if you can. Go onto the internet. Um, look up uh, upcoming Stop the Bleed courses. Once again, if you know people or family members or companies that would love Stop the Bleed, one-hour training could save someone's life. It's so huge. Um, and then also, just wanted to throw out a shout-out. You may have seen a, a wonderful flyer with a picture of me on it about um, a contest for the next year's nursing uh, week guest speaker. If you have any ideas on a speaker that you've seen that you're interested that, that you want to bring to this hospital, send that to mpg at uvmhealth.org. And you um, can win 50 bucks. 50 buck gift card. Big time. Money, money, money. <laughs> uh, well, thanks again. We'll see you guys on back in August. Or no, actually September. September. See you in September.